All right. Now we're going to get into the Word. So if you're tired of me talking already, I'm sorry. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. This message today, all of this, has been a burden on my heart like one I haven't had in a long time. I actually began working on this sermon back in October, if you can believe that. I began to look at the passage, look at the future of our church. If you were to come by my office, you'd see all sorts of things drawn on my marker board as I was trying to think through things and, and understand them. There are many things I want to cover and things as a church in alignment with the, the vision casting this morning that I, I hope you understand. But the overall question I hope to answer this morning, aside from the normal, what does the text mean? Where, where does this take us? And how does this get us closer to Christ? Aside from all that, I want to answer the question, what is next for Faith Assembly of God? Now, every Sunday, we should come in and say, Lord, take us where we need to be. That should be our prayer as we enter in to the time of the word and the worship and all of that. But back in October, as I began to put this together and piece this together, I believe the Lord is saying, it's time for the sword and it's time for the trowel. And that'll make more sense as we go along. Beginning in verse 15, it reads, Now it happened that when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had thwarted their counsel, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. And it happened that from that day on, half of my young men carried on the work, while half of them took hold of the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates, and the commanders were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand, doing the work, and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built while the trumpeter stood near me. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, there gather together to us, our God will fight for us. So we kept doing the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his young man spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a worker by day. So neither I, my brothers, my young men, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes, each took his weapon even to the water. Charles Spurgeon would speak on this text and many others. And he would speak of the sword and the trowel, the fight against sin and the labor of the Christian. This is the picture of our text this morning. And it's also, whether we realize it or not, that is the mission of the church, the sword and the trowel. In the passage, we see it in practice. Half of the men are ready to fight. Half are in constant work. Now, I want to be very clear this morning, as I hope I've made clear in the past, I am not Nehemiah in this as some sort of allegory, okay? We are not post-exile Israel here. But God is still God, and there's a lot we can learn from this passage of Scripture. And the one thing I hope you take away is simply this, if you're taking notes, now is the time to build, but prepare for a fight. I'll say that again. Now is the time to build, 
but prepare for a fight. For four and a half years, we've been here trying to change the reputation of our church in this town. Scripture says in Proverbs 24, 27, establish your work outside and make it ready for yourself in the field. And afterwards, you shall build your house. Now's the time to build. But how many of you know once you start to build, that's when the struggles always pop up? That's when the fight seems to find you. This, is, this sermon really has two ultimate purposes. One, I want to obviously show you God's word, of course. Always I want to do that. I always want to show you how the text points us and leads us closer to Christ. But second, is to continue to cast vision for the next year. Things you're hearing in the next 2024 and on into 25 and 26, you're going to hear beginning in this message. And some things you'll hear repeated from previous messages all the way back to the seven Psalms for the season series we did. Because now's the time to build, but we have to prepare for the fight. And the first thing you should notice is there's a change in the people of God. In our case, we'd say it's the change in the church. That there has to be a change in the church. Verse 15, now it happened that when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had thwarted their counsel, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. And when he says, now it happened, some translations just say when it happened. But there's a little Hebrew word in there that tells us there's a shift, there's a change in what's going on in the narrative, in the story. So what's the context? What was made known to them? Well, we look back all the way to chapter 8. The enemies were, or not chapter 8, sorry, verse 8. The enemies were preparing to attack. It says, all of them joined together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. Keep that in the back of your mind. They didn't want to annihilate the people. They wanted to cause a disturbance. But what do the people do? They pray. And while Nehemiah stationed the people by families with their swords, their spears, their bows ready, the people still get scared. <clears throat> and while Nehemiah 4.14 says, Then I saw their fear. And he's not talking about the enemies there. He's talking about the people. He says, I saw their fear and I arose and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not fear them. Remember, the Lord who is great and fearsome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Church, we have to stop being afraid. We have to stop living in fear. The enemies heard and it was known to them, yet it was the people who were afraid. This cannot be the case with God's people. This cannot be the case with the church. We, like the psalmist, Psalm 27, we sing, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the strong defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? In other words, who's got anything on me if God is really my salvation? Paul tells Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. God thwarted their counsel, the counsel of the enemies. How did he do that? By making sure the Jews who lived near them came and talked to Nehemiah. Once they were aware of the enemy's scheme, they were prepared to get back to work. Now, the word work there in the Hebrew, it means they were prepared to get back to their business, to their job, to their mission. This is where people, and especially churches, will often fail they get complacent, they get fearful, they get sidetracked. 
They don't get back on mission. We cannot fulfill our mission. We cannot be the church that I believe God is raising us up to be if we're afraid to work or afraid to fight for it because we're afraid to fail. This may be hard for some people to hear. It's hard for me to hear this simple statement, but believe it or not, failure is inevitable on the road to success. The greatest enemy we're going to face as faith assembly of God moves forward isn't out there. It's not the devil. It's ourselves. It's our own complacency, our own frustration with one another, and more importantly, our own poisonous passivity. Verse 16 goes on and says, And it happened that from that day on, half of my young men carried on the work, while half of them took hold of the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates, and the commanders were behind the whole house of Judah. He says, and it happened on that day, from that day on. Again, there's a change. It happened. There's a point in the history of God's people that the narrative begins to change. Half of them did the work. Half of them were ready for war. We see something very similar in Acts chapter 6 when there's a disturbance within the church. And so they create this whole new position, the diakonos, the deacon. And the deacons would wait the tables and they would take care of the widows and they would do the work so the apostles and the, the preachers among them could study and pray and be ready for the spiritual warfare and, and advance the gospel and all those things. And nowhere in Acts chapter 6 does it say the deacons are less important than the apostles and the preachers because they were all doing what they could for the church. They were all fulfilling their role. They just had a different role. In 1 Corinthians 14, 14, Paul makes it very clear, not one part, I think it's 12, 14, sorry, not one part of the body is more important than another, but the parts of the body have to be functioning properly in their position, in their role. What happens is a lot of these churches that you see today, they begin to take off, they begin to do really well, and then before long, a hand starts tearing at the eye, and the people complain, well, we have no vision. We have no direction. Or you get one foot going this way, one foot going that way, and a spine trying to bend backwards, and they wonder why they fail and they fall. It's because they're not united. Division is poison. And it not only will kill a body, it will wear them out to the point they are so tired, they are so passive, so complacent, the church won't move forward. Oh, but so-and-so got their way, so at least there's peace. Peace at the cost of truth, at the cost of building the kingdom, is the devil's favorite thing in the church. Believe me, we do his job for him. No, the prayer of Paul for the church, and many of you have heard this for a year now, it should be the prayer for our church too. May the God of perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus so that with one accord, hamathamadon, that's the Greek word there, with one accord you may be with one voice, with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That Greek word means that we are of the same passion, that we are of the same mind, that we're on the same page. That is the rallying cry. That's the trumpet blowing right there, that we rally together, that we come together and be united. It's time that we get on the right track or stay off the tracks because the train's coming through. The church that isn't on mission is a church that's divided, and a church that's divided is a house that will not stand. 
Notice this, the commanders, the, Greek, the, the Hebrew word there is sahim. These are the officers of the king. These were the men of authority who were there to have the backs of those who were on the front line. Church, leaders cannot lead if we can't trust those who are behind us to have our backs. Unity is especially mandatory for those who are in authority. We have a document this morning. It was passed out about a year ago for our board. It's available today at the stool at the back of the sanctuary. I would recommend and encourage you to pick that up and read through that this week. It gives the biblical expectations of your pastor and of your board. So you understand what your leadership is expected to be like. And you hold them to that standard. The commanders had the backs of those who were willing to put up a fight. They were not looking to stab them in the back when they had their opportunity. They're no longer looking out for themselves. They might be put there by the king, but they were not looking out for themselves, their own position, their own rank. They wanted what was best for the people of God. The people were no longer passive. They were active. They were working. They were ready to rumble should the time come. This has to be us. This has to be the church. Now is the time to build, but be ready for what comes our, may as we, uh, comes our way as we do it. The second thing I hope you see is the consistent construction. Now I say that, consistent construction, and some of you who were here four years ago, oh, he's going to remodel the sanctuary again. No. Bear with me, okay? Verse 17, those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. Hmm. There are two distinct groups here. We can understand this. These people were diverse, even amongst themselves. In fact, in one, in one place it says, Nehemiah separated them by families. He did this on purpose. And the thing about the exile, they're all coming back from the Babylonian exile, by the way. And those who were carried off, they were mostly scholars, teachers, royalty, the mighty men, the fighters. Those who were left, they were the poorest people of the land. They were your small town farmers, vine dressers. That's what it says in the next, in 2 Kings 25, 12. The captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. So Nehemiah not only had to get them to work, he had to train them for the job. He had to make sure they knew how to fight and how to build. What's the job of the pastor? Ephesians 4, 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's what we're doing this morning. That's what we're doing every Sunday morning, by the way, and every Wednesday night, equipping the saints for the building of the body. Now notice this. They were able to carry on their work with one hand, and in the other, they could carry a weapon. One commentator I, said, I read said, that weapon probably wasn't a sword. These men were the porters. They were carrying heavy objects from one place to another. In fact, their weapon in, their, in this, these particular people was probably just a rock. That application writes itself. See, we think of them as carrying a sword. We think of them as mighty fighters. And the builders clearly carried swords. That doesn't mean they were great fighters, but they did get to carry swords. These are the ones who are carrying supplies, carrying the bricks, and they'd carry what they could. And on the other hand, probably just carried a rock. Be about the work. Carry what you can, church. 
I've heard some people say the equivalent of, I don't have a sword. I don't have a spear. I don't have a spear. (laughs) But you've got a rock. I don't know the scriptures like Pastor Jeff. I can't think on my feet like Wes does. I don't have the experiences like Randy. I don't have the boldness Joel has and things like that. I've, I've heard that excuse in this church for four and a half years. I don't have the ability that person's got, so I can't do anything. No, you've got a testimony. You've got a rock. Do you know the gospel? Because if you've been in this church for one service, for four years now at least, I guarantee you have heard the gospel at some point, and you can carry that forward in your own life. What's the gospel, Pastor Jeff? 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. It's that simple. It's that simple. Take it and give that to someone, and let the Holy Spirit do his job. You can share that with someone. I know you can. Moses was not articulate. Peter stuck his foot in his mouth more than I do. Paul was at times a very timid preacher by his own admission. But God used them. He used their words. You share the gospel, let the Holy Spirit do his job. If they reject it, it's not on you. You take them to the kitchen. Let the Holy Spirit cook. Let him him feed them. And if the enemy comes, throw your rock, your testimony. Even if it's just, I was raised in church my whole life. Pastor, I don't have a good testimony. That is a lie the devil has told you from time immortal that because you weren't on drugs or because you weren't in a Harley gang or something like that, your testimony means less than. It does not. You know what God saved you from? And you can share that. Your testimony is a weapon against the enemy, and it may not be a big flashy sword. It may not be a big booming bazooka. It may just be a rock, but a rock in the hands of the Almighty God slays giants. See, we read David and Goliath, and we think, oh, David's such a hero. No, God is the hero. God is the one who caused that giant to fall. David was just obedient, he threw the rock. We're not David, but God is still God. We've got to be about doing the work with one hand and ready to rumble with the other. What's the work? Advancing the gospel, building the church. Verse 18. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near me. Who are the builders? Well, the Hebrew word there is bonim, bonim. These were men who had set their heart on the rebuilding of the wall. They set their heart on building back what the enemy had torn down. The word in this tense actually is they're not the builders, they're the rebuilders. These were men who understood the task. These were men who knew the job needed to get done. And they may not have been engineers, construction workers, masons, but they were willing to do the work. They weren't the manual labor types. These were shepherds. Farmers, low class, people the Babylonians looked at and said, no, you stay here. We can't do anything with you. And yet here they are, sword on the hip, ready to fight, and ears listening for the rallying cry of the trumpet. The trumpeter stood near Nehemiah because he was with the watchman. 
Nehemiah is watching over the work and he's, he's watching out for danger. When Nehemiah tells him to sound the trumpet, it's so everyone from all over the wall can not just carry on and do their own thing. It's so they hear the blowing of the trumpet and they rally. They listen. Hear the blast of the ram's horn. Hear the shofar. Get in line and follow ready to fight. Like Gideon in Judges 3, the priests, like Moses, like Joshua, the horn was a place to run to, to reunite, to retool, to refocus, to prepare for battle. Church, that's the Lord's day. That's Sunday morning worship for us. This is the rally cry. This is the place where we get fed and taught and ready to go back to work for the kingdom. Now imagine one of those workers sees Nehemiah walking by and the guy with the big ram's horn on his side and he says, well, you know, we really don't need that guy. We don't need a trumpet. We can, we can all see the danger for ourselves. We don't need him to point it out and call it out um, if they're busy with the work they do because they're focused on the mission. When the trumpet blast goes off, they have to be ready to fall in line. Nehemiah is leading them with the authority the king gave him, by the way. But at any point in time, at any stage of this rebuild project, Sambalot, Tobiah, the enemies, the people around them, the city, they could rise up and they could cause some problems. What did he say? That they would cause a disturbance. Why would they cause a disturbance? Because they don't want to annihilate the people. They don't want to shut it down. They don't want to kill. Today, they don't want to kill the church. They just want you to stop. And if Sambalite and Tobiah come along and they cause a big enough ruckus, the Persian king will go, you know what, guys? We tried it. It's not worth it. Let's just quit. Let's just stop. Get the workmen to stop. Get the message to stop. Stop rebuilding the church. Some enemies, church, do not want to defeat you. They just want to cause enough ruckus to get the work to stop. Verses 19 and 20 says, I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we, we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, there gather together to us, our God will fight for us. He says, I said, but the language is actually, I ordered, I commanded the nobles. The nobles were the ruling class. The Hebrew word is horim. They were the upper class and guess what? They were working together to build the wall. He said to the officials, the, the seganim, the people who held a political office, and yet here they are working together to rebuild the wall. The rest of the people, yitter aim is the word. Anyone else who would listen, and this was a majority of the people, that's why he, he says this, anyone else who would listen was also working to rebuild the wall. In other words, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your station or where you think you belong. It doesn't matter your position. It doesn't matter your role. We're all working together because the work, and the word Nehemiah uses, Melakah, the mission, the task, the business at hand is great. It's very large. It's, it's more than an average task. It's more than what can normally be done. And it's extensive. The Hebrew is rehabeh, and it means it's far-reaching. It's spread out. And one of the other meanings is it's greedy, it's time-consuming. It's demanding of our energy. It's demanding all that we have. What better way to describe the mission of the church? We have a task at hand, and it's bigger than me, and it's bigger than you. 
But with God behind us, the Holy Spirit leading us, it is not bigger than us if we're persistent in the work. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The harvest is great. It's extensive, and it's a big work, but we can do it. We can do it, but there's still that problem, you understand. We're separated on the wall far from one another. If we're going to move forward, we have to recognize and we have to own some things. I'm not a perfect pastor. I, I admit that. I've said that already this morning. We're not a perfect church. Not a single person here is going to get to heaven and get a trophy for having the most accurate theology. I promise you that. Or the trophy for the most perfect lifestyle. But church, we are all in this together. Hamathamadon, we are all in one accord of the same passion. Nehemiah said, at whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, make no mistake, this is the sound of the trumpet this morning. It's time to unite as a church and be about the mission before us. We've gathered together to build the body of Christ, not tear it down, not be about my agenda or your agenda or Jim Bob's agenda or the culture's agenda or whatever the case may be. We should be of one mind, one passion, one fierceness for the truth of Christ. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 15. If we rally to the trumpet call, church, we're gonna build something beautiful here. I believe that. He said, gather together to us. God will fight for us. Gather to the trumpet. Rally together. Our God, not my God or your God, but our God. There's a sense of unity in that statement. Our God will fight for us because the battle is the Lord's. He told Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be in dread or be dismayed for Yahweh your God is with you wherever you go. You know, when I became the pastor here, I had one prayer. I said, Lord, don't let me mess up. That's the astronaut's prayer. Don't let me mess up. I felt very, and I don't share this very often, but I was just the first day in the office, sitting there and I just prayed that prayer with tears in my eyes and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Joshua 1.9, you pastor without fear. When we're a united church, when we're girded and guarded, ready to fight, ready to work, God is faithful to fight on our behalf. He builds his church he uses us as willing vessels for the job. And I believe, and I hope you believe it too, that if we do this, we will see an outpouring the likes this county has not ever seen before. But first we build ready for the battle. The third and last thing, continuously contend. Verse 21. So we kept doing the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars came out. He says, we kept doing the work. They were exerting themselves, continuously doing all they needed to do to get the job done. They didn't let up. They didn't stop. They continuously contend until the stars come out. That's how strong their dedication is. Typically, the work would end at sundown, and they'd go home, back to their own little villages and things like that. Not here, not when the rebuild is on, not when there's work to do. They worked until the stars were visible, but notice they still had half the people holding spears. During every waking moment, they were ready for battle, ready for the fight, ready for that which did not belong in the city to be driven out. The young men holding the spears, watching over their brothers to make sure they were safe, make sure they were secure, and in turn, they trusted them to be doing the good work. 
And they'd work until they couldn't. They'd sleep, and before the sun was coming up, they were getting ready to go again, get back at it, continuously contending for the labor to get done. When we labor, when we work, Paul tells us, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. Serve the Lord Christ. Church, our labor is rebuilding the body. That's the obligation of the church. Working from dawn until the stars come out. That's what it means to continuously contend. As long as we're able, we are to be tools in the hands of our Savior for the building of his church. Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You see, Timothy's testimony was carrying him in the work. The fight lasts all day, every day, from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to sleep. It's not just a struggle with the flesh. It's not just our own sins we fight with, but we relate to that. We keep our focus, take every thought captive, because if we don't, we'll start to spiral, we'll start to lose our focus. Paul again, he tells Timothy, keep the commandments without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't get a break from being Christians. Anybody who ever says, I need a break from, being, from all this Jesus stuff, I need a break from being a, a Christian, I need a break from being a Christian means you haven't been a Christian for some time probably. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, a man will fall in private long before he falls in public. We don't get a break from the Christian life. That's why it's called a Christian life. It's meant to be lived. We contend for our own lives, but church, as a, as a unit, as a church body, we also contend for one another. We look out for one another, hold each other accountable, build one another up. And in some cases, and, and this might unnerve some people, but in some cases, yeah, we are going to have to tear down one another a little bit. And I want to tell you how. Jesus said it. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. Hmm. You notice he doesn't say, don't take that speck out at all. No. He says very clearly, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, we are to help one another tear down strongholds, tear down things that are hindering our walk, hindering our testimony, things like that. We don't attack one another, but we do help one another tear down the things that need to be removed. When I say we continuously contend, I mean we continuously fight for a better church, that we do build up and spur one another on, and that's not always comfortable. And some people might hear this and say, well, Pastor Jeff, what about our homes? What about our marriages? What about our work? Shouldn't we contend for those too? Yes, absolutely. But when we are contending to be a great church, the church helps us contend for those things too. Because you're not doing it alone. You've got a body of believers that have your back. Teaching, learning, growing together, spears in hand. Remember those spears are not for one another. They are for the enemy. And yet we still must teach, reprove, and correct and train in righteousness within the church from dawn until our eyes close for the night. Verse 22. At that time I also said to the people, let each man with his young man spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a worker by day. At that time, Nehemiah is actually giving them a new order, a new command. As they continuously contend, as they continue to work, as they continue to prepare 
There's going to come a time where they've got to shift. They've got to do something different. The culture uses this term, adapt or die. Not that we adapt as a church to become like the culture, but we think of new ways to attack the culture, new ways to be about the mission, to bring them Christ. Here's a fact. On average, you have to have at least 27 exposures before someone will give your church a chance. We have to assume the community does not know Faith Assembly of God exists. The higher our exposure, the more likely, the more often we're sharing the gospel, the more often you're in true value or Dollar General or wherever the case may be and you're looking for an opportunity to share Christ with someone, the more likely they are to receive it. There are some ministries for the record that we've done in the community that we're not gonna continue. We're not gonna invest in them anymore. There are things that they're not gonna stick around. That's okay. That's the adapt. But church, more than anything, we have to adapt together and make it happen. A rebuild doesn't happen if only one or two people are out there with the bricks, not able to defend themselves. A rebuild happens when we're working together. Leadership has our backs. Nehemiah looked at the workers. He says, all right, boys, we're going we're gonna to spend the night in Jerusalem now. Change of plans. And again, this is where I would tell you, many churches, when the change of plans come along, everybody gets up in arms. They don't like it, and they don't stick around. They feel stuck. There's always something to be done around this church, or, or people get frustrated, or they get burned out. And then they do something worse. They begin to settle. Or they become stagnant. This is where churches stay average, by the way. And they wake up one morning and they say, hey, you know what? We've been dead a long time and we just didn't know it. Average is never growing, never learning, never adapting. Average, church, average becomes a victim. And I'm guilty of this myself. I've, I've said some of these same things, but average begins to say things like this. Well, it seems like the whole town is against us when we do things. Or everyone here is Lutheran or Catholic. Why do we even bother? Or the devil's always fighting us wherever we go, whatever we do. No, there has to be a change in the church and then a change in our approach. Nehemiah says, we're gonna spend the night in Jerusalem. In other words, you guys aren't going home. We're gonna eat, sleep, and breathe the work until we're where we ought to be. By the way, you can go home when the service is over. Okay, I'm not implying you should have brought sleeping bags. But Nehemiah knew what the end game was. He wanted to rebuild the wall. And pardon me for using the term. I, I, he wanted to make Jerusalem great again. Or at least make it feel like the holy city that it was supposed to be. We want to have a great church in Lisbon, right? I believe we already have a great church in Lisbon. But we can always be greater. And we should ask, what makes a great church? You know, a great church does not happen overnight with the change of a pastor. It definitely doesn't happen in five years. A great church doesn't have all the best programs, the best preaching, the best teaching, the best worship, the best location. A great church doesn't have any of that stuff. A great church doesn't have the biggest crowd on Sunday morning. No. A great church is where all the people are growing in Christ. And this is key. They are bringing others to church so they can grow in Christ too. Someone might say, well, pastor, we're supposed to point people to Christ, not to the church. Well, the last time I checked, Matthew 28, 19 
It says make disciples, not converts. Where are they going to get discipled if not at church? I want to challenge you all as individuals today with two things. One, find someone new, bring them to church. It's simple mathematics, by the way. If everyone here brought one person to service next week, we'd double in size. There's your numbers if growth is, that, is how you measure it, right? That's simple math. We'd double. The next year, try to bring someone new to church. Maybe you succeed, maybe you don't, but you're getting yourself out there and you're trying, you're doing the work. And second, within the church, start looking for your niche. Start trying to find your gifting, where you belong, where you're best suited to help build. You know, I don't like calling people out from the pulpit. I really don't. But there are some of you, and I, I, I could drop names. You do a fantastic job with what you do here. You really do. You know, Joel in charge of our hospitality, I don't think I could have found a better guy anywhere to run hospitality. Um, Jackie running our finances does a fantastic job. She's had to learn two different types of software in two years. I couldn't, I don't like doing that. You know, Lolly and Ellen and Georgette with our prayer booklets. You know, that's something they do. Lolly comes in this week. I'm just here to do the prayer booklets. And she does it. She does it faithfully. She does it well. You know, find your niche. Find your place. My wife is a jack of all trades and a master of every one of them. She does a very good job wherever she's at. You know, when you hired me, you didn't get a pastor's wife, by the way. But she does these things because she believes in the mission. She believes in the rebuilding of a great church. Nehemiah had them stay in Jerusalem. That was their home now. They put down anchor. They said, this is where my mission is. This is my focus until the job is done. And if you're here and you want faith to be your home and you want to join the mission, I would challenge you, make it official and become a member. Put down the tent stake and say, here I am. I want this to be my church. I want my family to know this is my church. I want the community to know this is my church, that this is my home away from home. I'm willing to spend day and night on the mission and guard at night, work by day. That's what the people rebuilding modeled for us. So that in verse 23, so neither I, my brothers, my young men, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon even to the water. None of them even stopped to do their laundry. And that's where the analogy ends. Okay, please wash your clothes. <laughs> I joke, but he's saying all the workers were so focused on the mission. That's the point of the first part of verse 23. They constantly kept themselves ready for the work and ready for the fight. They took their sword with them even to the water. And some translations make it clearer that they weren't bathing in it. They were going to get water to drink. The sword was always in their hand while they did their job. The trowel was ready for the wall to, to spread the mortar and lay another brick. The trowel for the wall, the sword for the enemy. The Latin phrase is ora et labora. Pray and work. That's what the Christian life is like. This is the way the church must operate. We pray for God's blessing. We pray for his protection. But while we're praying for those things, we do the work with the strength that he has given us to accomplish the task. 
Four and a half years ago, I believe God orchestrated for my wife and my, my kids and I to come to Lisbon and be your pastor, and I plan to be here for a long time. I really do. I share with the board, I'm looking to get my master's degree. I'm not leaving. I'm doing it through distance ed because I believe in faith assembly of God, and I want to be the best pastor I can be for you. And I plan to be here a long time and work the fields with you to see the fruit of our labor. Now is the time to build, but when we build, the enemy so get the sword ready. That's where our teaching comes in. That's why unity in our teaching matters so much because he's not gonna like it, but he's gonna find a fight when he comes to faith. Amen? I'm gonna move to close. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back, and as I close, I wanna share this illustration with you. The story of Cliff Young. He was 61 years old. Some of you might have seen this already or heard this story, but he was an Australian farmer and shepherd, 61 years old, and on a whim, decides to enter a marathon race. A seven-day-long marathon race. 61 years old, farmer, shepherd, enters the race, breaks the world record, runs the whole thing in five days. From Sydney to Melbourne, Australia. Everyone else shows up to the race wearing Nike, Asics, Reebok, Under Armour, to, you know, head to toe. He shows up in his farmer jeans and pair of tennis shoes he'd wore already, pretty much already wore out. He completes the race because he perseveres. First night on the race that, that most runners would stop and they'd sleep for five, seven hours. He thought he'd slept five hours. He only slept for like two and a half, three hours. And he realized, I can make do with less rest but I can stay on the mission. I can stay on running. Shatters the world record. I, I couldn't run for one hour straight. And this guy ran for five days and breaks a world record. Church perseverance, that's the key to the sword and the trowel. Perseverance is something we don't think of enough. We give up so easy. We, when the church gets hard, we jump, we just go to the church down the street, Right? Jobs are too hard. I'll quit and I'll find another one. My marriage doesn't make me happy anymore. This friendship's too much work. We say things like that. When we don't get what we want, we take our ball and we go home. This is not the church's way. It has never been the church's way. And it can't be that way now. We can't give up just because we're not seeing the results we want. We adapt and we run our race. There has to be a change when it comes to the church as we consistently construct and continuously contend. We build ready for a fight. And with that said, we're going to get ready for 2024 as we close today, as we worship. Would you stand with us today as we close the service?